is the University of Michigan. Touchdown, Michigan! Welcome back to Blue by 90. We are here today, and boys, it's game week. We're here. We made it. We finally made it. It's October. Let's go. It's, it's late October. We've waited all summer, all fall. How are you guys feeling? Like you said, it's officially game week. College game day is going to be in Minnesota. It's a night game. It's finally setting in. I'll be moving into the new house. I'll have a little man cave for myself to watch games in the basement. Oh, yeah. It's perfect, man. I, it couldn't, couldn't set up for a better, better timing for the season to start for me. <laughs> That's awesome. I'll have to join you over there, Jack, and uh, check out the new house. Check out the new team that's out there playing against Minnesota. I mean, I'm pumped. It, it feels like this is going to be the longest week of all time. So oh, yeah. I, I'm just so ready for the season to start at this point. I know it'll be interesting. I, I mean, I usually kind of have a rhythm, uh, you know, going back to previous seasons of like game weeks, you know, Mon- you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you're not really thinking about it. Then all of a sudden, you know, Thursday, Friday, roll around, you're, you're doing a little scouting on the, on the opponent, you know, as a fan, even, you know, getting into it and stuff, um, listening to the talk radio, it, whether it was, you know, Spath or um, Sam Webb or those guys talking about what's going on. Um, so yeah, well, I'm going to, I'm going to cut you off real quick because you mentioned Spath. So for anybody who doesn't know, Justin is joining Michael Spath for another podcast, right? Stadium and main podcast where you guys will put out what four episodes a week or so. So you'll be able to hear Justin on that. Don't forget about us, but I had, I had to give uh, Ro a little shout out there. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not leaving Blue by ninety. So no, nobody panic or anything. He's going with that full time podcaster life. Exactly. <laughs> Start living in a box. Uh, yeah. So I will be joining Michael Spath uh, on a new podcast uh, called Stadium in Maine. Uh, we're putting it out four days a week um, to to talk a little bit. A little bit more analytical, maybe some more serious uh, expertise <laughs> a little bit instead of just us shit, uh, you know, shooting the shit here and, uh, and drinking. So um, let it be known. Let it, it's on the record now that Roe has referred to himself as a serious uh, sports podcaster oh now. Oh, boy. That's going to come back <laughs> to haunt me. <laughs> oh, God. So that'll be fun, though. Um, I'll, we'll still be here a couple times a week for sure. So um, definitely not leaving here anytime soon. So, um, yeah. So anyways, but but I'm pumped, man. I mean, what are you guys feeling going up to the Minnesota game? You, you mentioned it earlier uh, or just now, Jack, the college game day is going to be there. Um, it's a 730 night game. So in classic Michigan fashion, we've got a huge game right off the bat on the road um, with the new quarterback. You know, we talked about this with Clayton kind of feeling like Notre Dame in 2018. Are you guys feeling confident? Are you feeling nervous? Are you, what are you feeling, um, you know, going into the, to game one here for Michigan in 2020? Well, I don't know about Kalen, but nothing has changed for me. Every season I go in confident, overhyped. You know, we're going to have the best team ever. 
Um, but we actually, it seems like we have a quarterback right now. So I'm, I'm, I feel good about it. I'm, I'm glad there's no like top five hype or anything like that. So it's calmed down a little bit um, to where the hype's a little bit more realistic as long as we stay away from Joe Milton. Um, but game day is going to be there. I don't know. Does Minnesota have fans? Are they allowed to have fans in their stadiums? I don't know if that's a Big Ten rule or, if, or what it is, but I'm, I'm curious if, to see if they're going to have fans. Game day being there is going to have a lot of hype around it. Um, we've talked about it before. Minnesota's a really good team. Like, I don't think it would be an easy win. Um, I, I'm expecting a close game. I could see it going either way. But, I mean, I'm just like the rest of you guys. I'm excited to see the Maize and Blue on the field, and especially at night. That'll be awesome. Be a good nightcap for my uh, college football Saturday. Yeah, very well said, Jack. I mean, I this is one of those weird years <clears throat> where I'm just kind of like, I have no idea what to expect, right? I mean, there's so many question marks. I'm just going to be happy to see the Maize and Blue on the football field playing football. Uh, but in terms of like what my expectations are, I just don't know what to think, really, just because – there's new QB, new line, so many new faces starting. There, I don't have much to go on. Uh, obviously, my Michigan bias is here, right? And so I'm like, oh, we're going to go in there and, and be awesome, right? But my analytical part of my brain is like, eh, I mean, there's so many unanswered questions. I just don't know. Yeah, I mean, it, I think that was one of the big things I was thinking of is, Michigan has a lot more question marks than Minnesota going into this game. You know, Minnesota has a quarterback that has been, that has proven himself already. They've got a stud wide receiver. That's obviously one of the best in the nation. Um, their offense is going to be probably clicking pretty well. I would, I would think going, you know, right off the bat, their defense. I don't know. They had to, they had to replace a, a quite a few people on defense, um, but so did Michigan. So I could kind of see this with two high powered offenses and two defenses that, you know, especially for Michigan in the secondary, don't have a ton of experience or have those question marks. I can see it being a shootout, um, which will be interesting to see because Michigan hasn't fared well in shootouts, really. Um, so, I don't know. It, it's it's you, you, you're cautiously optimistic, right? I, I, it's, it's, you want to be like, all right, I want to see what Joe Milton can do and let's sling it to those fast wide receivers um, out there. But Oh man, I, you just, especially when it's a big game on the road in college game day, I think Jim Harbaugh is like one in seven um, in college game day games. So especially when it's yeah. on the road against an unranked or against a ranked team, he's, a, I believe the only team he's beaten on the road as a ranked team is Michigan state in 2018. And they were 24th. So, yeah, they were they were they were at the bottom of the top twenty-five. <laughs> yeah, I think they they dropped out of the rankings after that game and never went back into it. So, yeah. if you want to even really count that, you know, it's like we're counting know. it. We'll take it. <laughs> Gotta take yeah, anything we'll we can get. It. We'll take it. Um, I actually had a, a stat um, that I was talking with my buddies about. Um, so we'll do a little trivia for you boys. Oh God. When was the last time that Michigan won a game that they were not favored in on the road? Man, dude, I have 2006. No <laughs> right. That's like, that's how far back we're going. <laughs> I mean, not, I feel like it has to be that far back, right? It's not that far back, but it is pretty far back. It was 2013 versus Northwestern. Um, so Devin Gardner, Devin my Gardner, QB, our, that's my our, QB. 
our upcoming guest here, Craig Rowe, was on that team as well. So, right. Um, so, yeah. So, seven years, none of those under Harbaugh. Harbaugh's only been here for five. So, Harbaugh hasn't beaten a, a team that he hasn't or that he wasn't favored against on the road yet. So, and I right believe- now, right now, they're Michigan's favored to win that game, right? At least betting odds. Uh, I think I thought it was Minnesota minus two and a half is what it opened at. I thought Clayton just put something up on Twitter um, that said it was it, it was switched to Michigan. I could be wrong, but I thought I saw that. I knew but it, I remember it started with Minnesota. Started with Minnesota. I knew it moved at least to Michigan or Minnesota minus one and a half. So it moved it yeah. back towards Michigan. Might have moved farther, but either way, I I don't know. In these types of situations. Michigan has, has usually dropped the ball. So it's hard as a fan to be super optimistic about it. Um, but we'll see. I, maybe it's a different team. Maybe, you know, maybe Minnesota is not also, also not the team that everyone thinks they are too. Um, what do you guys think about P.J. Fleck? And, and, you know, they won some games at the beginning of last year. They beat some, some cupcake teams by like four points last year in the beginning of the year. Um, so – I don't know. What, what do you guys think he's legit? Do you think they're legit or is it, are they inflated a little bit by ESPN and the media? No, I think they're legit. I mean, they, they beat Penn state pretty handily from what I remember last year. And I mean, PJ flex got the whole program bought in. They're rowing the boat. I mean, there's, I, I don't see them coming out and I guess what I would see is them doing what almost every other college football team has done, which is just play sloppy defense, right? We've seen that all around the whole sport. So I could see that, but them just straight not being ready. I, I wouldn't count on it. Yeah. I I mean, I'm, I'm a believer in PJ Fleck personally. I think he, he's got that program exactly how he wants it to be run. And Again, I don't know. Like, I, I mean, I know uh, Jeff was telling us about how he's the number one guy on the board for the Gamecocks if, like, they were looking for a new coach where I don't know if he'd be able to go down to SEC or somewhere like that and get a team to buy in the way that I feel like he kind of needs it to. Uh, but I feel like Minnesota's a perfect spot for him. I feel – I mean, we know Tanner Morgan's a solid quarterback. Like you said, Rashad Bateman is coming back. I mean, I think Minnesota's a real deal, man. We'll see what happens. Uh, I think it'll be interesting next year, maybe the year after, to see, like, once he's kind of through there and playing some tough teams on the road to see how he kind of fares out. But right now, I mean, they're as legit or more legit than Michigan is. That's for sure. Yeah, a lot of people are comparing Fleck to Harbaugh and saying that he has already, you know, won a, a few big games in his early in his career more than Harbaugh has. So, um, we'll see. They do play in the in the West, which definitely favors them. I was looking at their schedule today. Outside of Michigan, and then they play at Wisconsin. There isn't a tough game on their schedule. They do have to play Iowa at home, but Iowa is probably down with uh, Nate Stanley. You know, is gone, and they've got a new quarterback. But they have a cupcake schedule outside of those two games, and so, I mean, it, it's. You just it, – it's really, as a fan for Michigan, it's like, dang, I wish we were in the Big Ten West because – Oh, my God, if, yeah. If Michigan's in the Big Ten West, they're going to the Big Ten title game, you know, every year. Or at least they're the favorite to go. And it's like – it's between them and Wisconsin battling it out, which, you know, we've gone, you know, back and forth with them every year. So, 
I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I, I, I predict a, a fun game, I think. And, and so we'll talk about it a little bit later this week with Cam from the Michigan page as well. Um, but let's, uh, let's uh, go right into our interview. Um, so we've got uh, former uh, Michigan defensive end, Craig Rowe. He's also my cousin. Um, but first oh, interesting. I know. I haven't, I haven't mentioned that on the <laughs> podcast before. Um, but we're excited to have him on. So we'll bring him on now. All right, we are here with Craig Rowe, former uh, defensive end for the Michigan Wolverines, uh, and also my cousin. So, how you doing, Craig? What's up? I'm doing well. Good, good. Yeah, obviously, you know, I've referred to you as you know the lesser Rowe on our podcast uh, prior. So, um, you know, people know kind of what the deal is here. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, and it's the truth, right? So it's uh, <laughs> no. In terms of just sheer accomplishments and you know, athletic, yeah, strength, speed, just getting down to like the nitty gritty. It's you're just better than me in every way. Yeah, thank you, thank you, thanks for clearing that up and letting everybody know that. So <laughs> I think everybody's just glad now that this is finally confirmed. We've heard we've heard about it so many times. We never really knew for sure, and now now it can be confirmed that you two are related. That's good. <laughs> Yeah, I was actually we had we had Michael Spath on the on our uh, podcast, um, and you've done some stuff with him, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I was joking around like, "Oh yeah, you know, I'm obviously better than." He's like, "What did he say?" He's like, "Oh yeah, at hold, you're better at holding his jock strap." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Well, when I say everything, that's everything, right? <laughs> that's, that's true. That's true. Um, all right. Well, um, so. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now. You're in Austin, Texas. The, the CFL uh, season, unfortunately, got canceled due to COVID. Um, so you've got this thing going to, called the Pass Rush Bible. Um, so tell us a little bit about that and, and what you're trying to do here. Yeah, so this is a bit of a, a passion project that I've been working on. Um, growing up all throughout football, I always wanted like a definitive guide on like, how to play D-line, how to do run defense, how to pass rush perfectly, all this stuff. And I never had it growing up. Uh, I would watch Dwight Freeney and go like, oh, yeah, like, okay, it looks like he's on the third step, chopping, lowering his hips and spinning. But I never, you know, I was always uh, uh, beholden to whatever coach um, was kind of helping me through that journey. And what I want to do here is put – really all the knowledge that I've gained over the years into one definitive resource on pass rush for aspiring uh, athletes, for coaches, uh, and for also fans who want to get an inside look on, on what's actually going through a professional's mind before the snap, how they're preparing, how they're looking at the game through the lens uh, of the pro. And uh, I wanted to put it all in one definitive resource. And, um, you know, it took a lot of hard work. And I literally stayed up for 26 hours straight the, the <laughs> night of the launch. Um, had like four Red Bulls. And I'm sure I took off like <laughs> years of my life, but launched it. And um, the response has been pretty awesome. And uh, a lot of like, e even Robert Mathis, um, you know, legendary Colts guy and, and guy that I've looked up to 
um, you know, said like, he's like, yeah, this looks awesome, you know, checking it out right away. And so like, have had some pretty awesome people reaching out and saying it's a great resource for them. And, and, you know, just solving a problem for coaches and for players where, you know, they now have something they can lean on to be kind of that definitive resource for them that they can uh, use to achieve their goals. And so that, that's what I've been up to. I like it. I like it. Yeah. And it's like, you know, with, when it comes to football, you know, there's probably a ton of film on quarterbacks and a ton of film on running backs and, and, you know, all that stuff. Pass rushing is an art form that sometimes people don't realize all that goes into that. Right. As far, you know, it's not always just a bull rush and whoever's the biggest guy and shoving people over. There's, there's a lot more to it. Right. Yeah, well, it's it's actually interesting. I talk about this in the book that there's, you know, like a couple different proto, pass rush prototypes. So like if you're a power, there are guys out there who pa- pass rushes more checkers than chess for them because they're so physically gifted. Mm-hmm. When you're a guy who can overpower everyone, you can be just a power rusher. You can't bull rush every time. But that's like 2% of the guys out there ever at, at any level and if it worked in high school it probably won't work in college if it worked in college it probably won't work in the nfl and then there's like three guys in the nfl who can do that so it's a very <laughs> small group of people who who can actually do it but for 95 percent of people who aren't like a uh, uh you know the strongest guy in the room or the fastest guy in the room they have to play a little bit more chess than checkers and you're now you're going into strategy Oh, what kind of uh, uh, set did, did this tackle take? Did, is he doing a vertical set, jump set? Where his hands at? How can I match my hands to his hands? How can I turn the corner? How can I, you know, go speed, speed, and then a counter rush? Um, it's a whole lot more setup and then execute. Make it look like speed, but you're actually doing power. Make it look like power, but actually you're doing speed, never looking like what you're actually doing. Um, yeah, so there's a lot that goes with it awesome and that's awesome do you and so is this uh so it's a book right yeah so correct it's actually i don't even want to say it's a book because it's it's something that i've personally never seen before where it's a pdf document but what you'll have is where there's like uh examples i have a link above the example and that link will go to a gif that will actually show a live clip of that with like pointing out things going in slow motion uh, it, it's kind of like a video course in a book all in one. That's awesome. Cause that's what I was going to ask. That was going to be a follow-up question. Cause I know you have a website. I was curious if there was like tutorials of how to do each movement or, um, anything like that. So, I mean, that's huge, especially thinking of, I, I, I looked a little bit over the website and just saying like, you know, it's like back when you were in high school, right? Like when we were all in high school, Twitter, Instagram, it wasn't as big as it is now where you can see kind of this coaching stuff online. So, so easily, um, right. but to have that all in one document and with a link to go to a video to kind of look at it a different way, that's huge. Well, and you look at the way that people learn, some people learn, they can just read stuff and they can absorb it. Others, they need a, a picture. And, and I'd say the majority of people and the majority of football players are visual learners. I want to see the teach tape of what's the perfect way to do this technique. And I want you to slow it down for me. I want you pointing out what it specifically I should be concentrating on. And, and I think that's what I've achieved in this book um, and something that, that can be relied upon in that way. 
Awesome. Awesome. So let's get into uh, a, a little bit more about your, your Michigan days. And, and um, so I think it was Jack, do you want to go ahead with, uh, with your first question there? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, obviously Craig, you played for Michigan. Um, you know, you, you're an alumni of the university. What are you, what are your feelings on the state of Michigan football right now? Um, where do you think, how do you think fans should feel about it? Cause I'm sure you've got a different perspective being a former player and yeah. I'm sure it's, it's probably a little frustrating. And, um, at least I don't, I feel like that's how I might feel would be frustrated with how the fans kind of feel about the program. Cause personally, I feel like they're doing very well. I mean, averaging almost 10 win seasons, but, um, as a former player, how do, how do you feel about the state of Michigan football? Well, here's the, here's the thing with Michigan is that a 10-win season is not enough. It's, it's about winning Big Ten championships. It's about really defeating Ohio State, uh, who's been really a perennial program in the country for a while now. It, it, I think we're at the place where it's like, yes, Michigan is a top-tier program. It's a big-time program. Uh, and it's been that way for, you know, even since I was there. And, and we had a few hiccups during the Richrod era where, you know, we weren't winning a whole lot of games, not even uh, 10 win seasons. Um, but I think Michigan's in the place where it's like, they're, they're like right under the elite tier of teams where you have like an Ohio state who year in and year out is a really an honest contender for national championships, Michigan. I wouldn't say uh in a while, and this is in, including even the teams that I played on, we haven't been serious contenders on the national stage f for a while. And you got to think about, okay, what, what's the reason for that? And, and there's a, a couple reasons for that. Like, I think Michigan is getting, they're getting like really top tier recruits that they're getting um, from what I have seen, like, and I don't pay a ton, ton close attention to this, but like, you know, top 10 recruiting classes every year. Um, and, but the thing is, is like, when you, once you get the guys on the door, you, ne you then need to develop them even further. It's like, you don't just put a, a chess piece out in the field and say, okay, now I'm going to drop all these different blitzes and whatnot. You know, we're developing players. And I think you are seeing an upward trend and more NFL talent coming from Michigan, all that sort of stuff. But it's the sort of thing where, you, you look at what separates, I think, the top, top tier from the just underneath the top tier is like, how can you develop your players? And I, and I think, because scheme can only go so far and you're going to win. Football at the end of the day is who wins the most one-on-one -on -one matchups, right? It's all these, it's hundreds of one-on-one -on -one matchups going throughout the game. And you can scheme it. You can try to trick people. You can try to make it look like one thing or the other. But at the end of the day, it's one guy beating another. And if you can give a guy the tools to be able to do that, like when I was on the Panthers, they made the defense so simple. And, and it was the D-line that had to get pressure. And it was the D-line that was given the tools to be able to get after the quarterback. And I think that's probably just the very next level is like developing the guys to where now they're winning those one-on-one -on -one matchups more and more and more. And I think that's, that's really the, that's the difference. I've personally had it where I've had good coach. I had good coaching at Michigan. It was good fundamental coaching, but then I got coached by a guy named David Tollison who played 
he was like the only like you know uh, try hard white guy on the New York Giants defensive line who <laughs> who beat the Patriots. He was playing with like Justin Tuck, Ozzy Umanura, oh, yeah, like a, a freaking star-studded cast, and and he was like you know playing on their level and. Um, and he coached me and he taught me his way of thinking about pass rush, about the game. And it up level, I got that. That's, and after I had my conversation with him, that's when I had my first three sack game. And wow. And it's, it's, it's that sort of stuff where it's like, if you can up level your guys to be thinking at a whole new level, I've personally seen it in my own career but you can tell the programs that are really like they have like technician coaches. They're not just like setting up chess pieces and go here, go here, go here. They're actually telling them like, okay, you got to use the chop grab move against a low hand guy. You got, you know, they're teaching like the perfect bail technique for corners. Um, You know, it's that sort of stuff that separates, I think the, the good programs from the, the elite national contenders. For sure. And I know that um, like you, what you mentioned with, you know, 10 win seasons aren't enough. It's big 10 titles, it's national title contention. So are you kind of in agreement that the fans should not be satisfied with 10 win seasons or, or how do you feel on that, on that aspect? Inherently Michigan fans will not be satisfied with 10 wins. Ever. Ever. If you're not, <laughs> you know what? I'll actually, I'll, I'll uh, recant what I just said there, but they'd be satisfied with a 10 win if you're beating Ohio State and Michigan State. Yeah. I think that would be satisfying. But the fact that we have not beaten Ohio State um, really definitively for quite some time, and it's, you know, I think that's just like, a, a, it's just a stain on any Michigan coach's record. And Ohio State's been, I mean, they've been a very, very good team for a long time now. It's like since since I've been paying attention to to college football, you know, they've been up there. And I think that's that's the hurdle that I think Michigan's at. And I know that Michigan fans will not be satisfied until we're just whooping Ohio State every single year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You were actually on the last team that beat Ohio State in 2011. Yeah, I was – I was told that, and I was like, "There's no way." And then I, I was like, "Oh yeah, like I, yeah, I was." <laughs> yeah, pretty crazy. Um, no, but that team, that team was, um, that was a very gratifying season, and one that I think a lot of Michigan fans, in recent memory, are like very proud about, mm-hmm. right? And where we had that sugar bowl victory there against Virginia tech. That was like insane. And then, um, and then also beating Ohio state. Um, that, that's just something that just makes you feel warm and fuzzy on the inside. <laughs> I remember going down on the field, rushing the field with, uh, with your mom and dad after that game, it was like, you know, oh, yeah, you was, were there for that one. Yeah. Yeah. They were. <laughs> it was like, it was you felt like we were, we all felt like we were on top of the world and it's crazy that Michigan fans and players and, you know, parents haven't had that feeling since, which, um, you know, obviously as a Michigan fan is not, not fun that we haven't, it's not great that we haven't had that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. What has Ohio state managed to do that we have not been able to do to continue to win those games? Yeah. Well, and, and I think it goes back to what I was saying before is you develop your guys. 
I think that's, that's truly the, di- and this is something that from my own personal career, having ran into certain coaches that have, I honestly, I feel like some have made me twice as good. Like I wasn't thinking about password. Like when I ran into David Tollison, he two X my, my ability to pass rush, to get after the quarterback and to be, be, be a better defensive lineman. And, you know, as I said, I got a three sack, my first three sack game and, I'd never done anything like that before. Um, and so I, I've personally felt it when I run into coaches who are absolute technicians and understand kind of like the fundamentals and the inner workings. And they're almost like these like scientists who like just study like defensive line or whatever position they're coaching. Um that I think is the difference. I think you have, you can have like a great D coordinator. You have a, have a great O coordinator, but then you look at the position coaches, you look at a, at an a, a Ohio state, their D line position coach has been, he's produced like a first round draft picks every single year. And he's had great talent to work with, but Michigan has similar talent to work with. <laughs> and so, but, yeah right and you know five a few five stars and then versus a few four stars and you know in the recruiting process that's a that's a very close gap right you know it's not that far yeah and I think that's I mean you look at like Chase Young you look at the Bosa brothers you look I mean you look at just like and I watch their I've been watching their film more as I've been getting more into like all this D-line education stuff you just look at their technique it's just it's perfect. Their technique is just great. And, and they're getting after the quarterback. They're aggressive. They're stopping the run. Um, and, and I think that's, that's where you see it. Like they pay their D line. I mean, I think he's making half a million dollars a year. <laughs> and he's a, that. <laughs> oh, he did. And he's, and he's one of the top position coaches in the country, but you know, I'll, I'll even give another example. You get, you look at a, a Clemson, um, they've been producing top D line talent and you look at, you turn on their film, you can see the technique. You can see how they're, they're strategizing and, and they really have a great knowledge of the game and the college kids aren't coming in knowing that it's their coach. That's upgrading their knowledge of the game. And looking at coaches too. I mean, obviously you played for both Rich Rod and Brady Hoke, I guess, give us a little insight into, into that and you know, how, maybe they helped your development or, I mean, as being a head coach, it's hard to be so hands-on because there's so many different groups to work with. Yeah. Um, but any insight you have on that, I mean, fill us in. Yeah. Well, Rich Rod was more of an offensive guy. And so he, right. his whole thing was the spread offense and bringing that to Michigan and trying to make that work in the big 10. Um, my specific coach was Greg Robinson, who had coached in the NFL, who had coached um, at, at Texas as well. And, you know, my freshman year, we were playing his defense. It was a, a like a 3-4 sort of defense, and I was like the stand-up linebacker, kind of quick. They called it the quick position. But I was working a lot from the line of scrimmage. And he – I mean, he just did a great job of um, – I mean, I could figure out quite a few things myself, but he just put me in, like, good positions to, like – you know, I was like a freshman and – you know, like every running back in the big 10 was like bigger than me. I was like 230 pounds. Up. 
And like, I don't know if you guys remember John Clay at Wisconsin, but the guy was like 250 pounds. You know, they were running like power every single play with like 16 offensive linemen. Nothing's changed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wisconsin. Yeah. And um, yeah, so he, he, we were working, I was personally working within a defense that, you know, I, I just was able to, um, you know, understand, he just made it very clear what, what needed to be done. And, and, you know, thankfully I, I could achieve it. Um, then when like Brady Hope came in my junior year, that's when I ran into Greg, Greg Madison, who, I mean, he's a tough, tough coach. Um, he's a guy who you take a step six inches straight instead of six inches diagonal when you were supposed to take a diagonal step, it's like, Oh, minus, 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 minus. Like oh, wow. you know, the grade sheets after the game are tough. You know, he's got the, he's also a Catholic too. So it's like the, uh, the good, the staunch uh, legalism of the Catholics as well, uh, coming into the coaching sphere. But um, no, but he was a guy who, you know, when you're looking at what it means to be accountable, what it means to, um, to be consistent. I mean, he's a guy that, that I think taught me that, but it's funny when I started going into, I'm such like a perfectionist and like all this stuff that like, you know, I would get so analytical that like, Oh, I didn't take a six inch step one way or the other. And I'm like, I'm beating myself up over it. When I got to the pros, it was more about like you you're making plays rather than not making mistakes. And so that, that's a little bit that like I, I learned after the college game and wish I had learned a little bit sooner had I not been such a little, you know, goody two shoe wanting to do nice things for coach all the time. But, uh, well, it's you know, that, that, yeah, those are the, some of the lessons I've learned. It's interesting. You, you mentioned Madison being such a stickler and cause he's now at Ohio state. Um, and so it probably fits very well into them being such technicians on, you know, on their techniques and, and getting into that. So he's probably, you know, it's probably just feeding into that and making them, you know, the chase youngs where the chase young has a, he has a ridiculous body to work with, right? Like superhuman almost. But then if you can make him a technician too on that, it's like, all right, how can you even possibly stop? Watch out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think um, the thing about Madison too with Ohio state is he's brought all of Michigan's way of thinking into the Ohio state program. And he knows how Harbaugh's thinking about this, thinking about that. And it just gives them a leg up in strategy. I mean, that's like such a middle finger to to Michigan. And I think, I think specifically to Harbaugh and he's a guy who recruited me um, when, when I was in high school, actually, he was at Stanford at the time and the guys, I mean, he's just one of those, like one of the most competitive people that you could like competitive, like it's like a family gathering and you're playing a board game and he flips the table like that that level of competitiveness (laughs) <laughs> and and I think it's like he's just a very intense guy and if you're not getting along with like it's just it's it's I think when especially when you're not winning as much and you're with them you go like okay is this worth it <laughs> yeah yeah because he can ruffle some feathers I think that's just the the um 
just his personality and in the football world it's it does draw those sorts of intense personalities like his um but at the end of the day you are going to make some enemies by being that competitive well and he you know I remember you and your dad talking about when he was recruiting you and him just being the weirdest guy, right? I mean, you had, I remember you saying some things like he would call you, but then there'd be like, you know, minutes of silence. And he, you know, it was just like very odd compared to a lot of the other coaches um, that recruited you. So do you have any other stories about when Harbaugh was recruiting you? Well, no, that, that's the main one is when he, uh, I mean, he called and was like, Hey Craig, like, how's it going? I'm like doing well coach. Just like, you know, working on a school project. And it's like <laughs> two minutes of silence. And I'm like, <laughs> so how's recruiting going coach? Like, going well? and he's like, yeah, yeah. Going real well. It's like another minute of, minute of silence. I'm like, okay, coach, well, I'm going to like go work on my project now. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it sounds great. <laughs> and uh so it was a it was um it was an interesting you can t- he's like thinking about things in the but you could hear him like you know his mind was like just thinking about i don't know if he's doing like calculus in his brain or something <laughs> <laughs> what he was thinking about but um you know the guy is definitely uh he's a unique individual i'll say that yeah. And the one other thing I remember um, was I remember when you went and visited Stanford um, and I think the next day you visited USC where Pete Carroll was the coach at the time. And I think you compared the two practices and it was like Pete Carroll's was like down to the second, like, you know, everybody's on time, everybody's on top of it. And then Jim Harbaugh's at Stanford was kind of sloppy and kind of weird. Uh, was that, I, am I remembering that right? Yeah, so the Jim Harbaugh's was um, – his was, like, I just remember seeing the D linemen there, and they were all kind of, like, fat and, like, rolling around. And it's like – I was like, man, these guys don't look very athletic. And then I, I went to the USC practice, and I'm like, Everson Griffin was there who – I actually played against him in high school. He's, like – in high school, he was, like, 260, 6'4", and he was playing running back, oh which is scary. In high school, where like offensive linemen are like 180 pounds <laughs> in high school, so pretty crazy. But um, then I go to U to the USC practice, and like Pete Carroll's like very like Hollywood. He's like, you know, pulling yeah. pranks on guys. Yeah, pulling pranks on guys. Guys are like rushing. He's got just like the mojo going. You know, he's like kissing babies on the sideline, <laughs> signing autographs. And then he does, you know, the whole USC pitch to me. And um, uh, and it, it, this was actually after a camp that I d- did with them. <clears throat> but they offered me after the camp. And then, uh, uh, like, a couple, you know, I said, you know, thanks, coach, for the, for the offer. And I, like, I go to, like, handshake him. And he goes, no, we hug here, brother. And then, like, <laughs> he's hugging me. And my hand's, like, caught in between here. And so... <laughs> with like trying to get my hand out and i'm like this oh is so crazy and uh <laughs> you no, pull that I, offer right now i'm too awkward <laughs> yeah, totally. and um yeah so pete carroll and jim harbaugh are very very different personalities uh in that you know pete's this like hollywood selling the vision 
I mean, he's so good at that. And then Harbaugh is just this like ultra competitive kind of like almost like, like very cerebral, very like kind of like inward, like thinking sort of guy. Yeah, and one other thing about Harbaugh that I've learned from just people that are around the program now at Michigan is that he does really, really well with these three-star guys who are like, you know, blue-collar, always putting in the work, and he can really develop them. But when it comes to the five-star guys that are kind of prima donnas, you know, he's expecting everybody to put in the same amount of work and not, you know, give or t- give and take with anybody that – is um you know thinks they're above anybody else um and some of those five-star guys don't really like him that much some of the better athletes and and football players at michigan don't like him as much as the three-star guys so i i wanted to ask you about you know was there any favoritism when you were there from uh you know from i guess any time in your career when it's like the the big mvp types guys are like the you know the stars versus the is there any different way that coaches treat those guys or a, or a good way yeah. to go about it yeah i'll um i'll give an example so i was rich rod's first full recruiting class and i and you know coming in you know i came as a in as a freshman and beat out um brandon heron who was a guy that was not recruited by Rich Rod. Now I worked my butt off and, you know, I had a really good camp, like all that. But I think at the end of the day, you want, if you're the head coach, you want to look like a genius, right? And, and if you're bringing your guys in who you've evaluated, you understand them, you've all your staff and your coaches have looked them in the eye, offered them a scholarship, understand who they are there's just naturally going to be favoritism there. If you have a guy who you recruited, you, you saw his film, you offered him, you like, you were sold on him the whole way through. And then, and then, you know, he's in competition with a guy who you didn't recruit. I don't think it's a conscious thing. I think it's a very subconscious thing, but you just have a little bit more trust because in them, because you're saying, I've evaluated them more. I've looked at them more. I've understood kind of where they're coming from more. And, it, you know, it, I mean, it would take a very, I don't know, perceptive and empathetic coach to be able to understand and, and not, and kind of like see those like unconscious biases, like playing out in that world. But the more practical way it plays out is that the guys who are your recruiting class, you want them to rise up in ranks quickly And it's the same thing for like NFL guys, a first round draft pick he's playing. It doesn't matter if you're performing better than him. That's who the scouting department chose and that's who they're going to develop. Yeah. It's interesting because I mean, in the NFL, obviously there's the GMs and so many other guys that are telling people who to play and all that stuff. And so I think it's, it's interesting to, to see too um, now, you know, Jim Harbaugh's kind of taken a little hands-off um, approach more than he has before. Um, he's more the CEO type. I remember Rich Rod, when we went to the family day practice, it was like, I mean, he's doing every single thing. He's calling the plays, you know, on offense. He was really into it. Um, and then a lot of times when you guys, I remember when you were on defense, he's force. he's not even a defensive guy, but he's forcing coach Robinson to run a specific defense. And, and yeah. I remember you guys were like, 
what the heck's going on some of those times. You know, I, I remember specifically when we went to that Penn State game when you guys were on the road, I think you tapped yourself out at, some, at one point because you didn't know what the heck was going on. Um, right. and, and so, like, I think there's so much more to all that stuff that, on the inside that fans don't see. Um, and so, I don't know, any, anything on that? Yeah, I, I think, well, and I respect the, like, CEO way of doing it. I mean, there are some coaches where, for example, like a Pete Carroll, he's more of like a defensive guy. He came up through the defensive ranks. And so he understands that world and is able to give helpful advice. But ultimately, and, and whether you're in football or outside of football, there's you got to develop your coaches and give trust to them or you're not going to have any top tier talent coaching for you if you're too hands-on any coach with a brain isn't going to want to be with you because they're not able to have autonomy they're not able to call their own plays to figure stuff out if anything as a ceo you're of service you're a servant to them and you're trying to enable them to to raise them up even higher because if they raise, if you raise them up, they'll raise you up. Now, at the end of the day, the head coach can come in and veto whatever, right? It's their, it's their neck on the line. But the way I see it is that unless you give, if you're a CEO and unless you give the people under you a, autonomy and a feeling like they can make decisions on their own, there there's just going to be constant frustration there and and i'd imagine that's probably why madison left yeah it, it makes sense i think that's one of those things where you said jim harbaugh can ruffle some feathers he probably ruffled some feathers there with with madison and you know i i don't know who knows what actually happened but um i imagine that he maybe got too involved and madison said you know what uh, uh, Urban Meyer or Ryan Day, you know, at Ohio State is going to let me do my thing, and I'm going to go down there and keep kicking your ass, <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> pretty much. I know you kind of touched on this a little bit um, in terms of matchups, but if you had to point to maybe just one thing, if you had to give us just one parting piece of wisdom, what would be that one thing that needs to happen for Michigan to beat Ohio State? Oh, man. What's no pressure. I'm not, I'm not educated enough to be <laughs> this. I haven't watched the film. I feel, <laughs> I feel like I can't say anything about it. I haven't watched the film. I'm just going to say, because I'm writing a book on pass rush, pass rush. There you go. There you go. Okay. <laughs> Everyone Good. needs to get the book on pass rush. <laughs> Perfect. Way to sell it. If all the Michigan D linemen have the pass rush Bible, then they'll beat Ohio State. That's exactly. Issue. There you go. There we go. Good. <laughs> Well, uh, let's plug you again here uh, one more time. Where can they find the, the Passers Bible? Yeah, so it's at craigrow.com slash pass-rush. And that's craigrow, R-O-H, dot uh, com slash pass-rush. And that's where they can find it. Awesome. And then they can follow you on Twitter at Craig Rowe as well? Yep. Yeah, that's at Craig Rowe for all my accounts, Instagram, Twitter, um, yeah, you can find me on there. Don't have TikTok yet. Not have been practicing my renegade dance though. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen you do some dancing back in the day. I know oh yeah, yeah. No, it's it's uh, it's coming, but uh, not yet though. <laughs> 
All right. Good to hear it. Good to hear it. Well, thanks again for coming on. This was awesome. Um, you know, hopefully we can have you again at some point. Hopefully Michigan has a good season. We've got football coming up. You know, NFL's obviously been on SEC. Finally, we have some Big Ten football up here in the Midwest. Um, thank you for coming on again, and uh, we will see you all next time. All right. See ya. Go Blue. Go Blue. Go blue.